Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Are you grateful this morning? Yeah, I can tell. It's good, it's good to be in the house of God. I, I'm grateful for those who have come out and... Uh, this is, might, might be the first time that you're here, you've been invited. We just want to say welcome. Uh, when you are here, maybe the first time you're here, you're a, you're a guest. The next time you come, you're family. And so we just want to make sure that you feel loved and appreciated today. I want to get into the Word. Are you ready for a message from God today? We're going to continue in our series called Grateful. And uh, it's a series that we've been looking at, at how having an attitude of gratitude, having a grateful heart changes your perspective. This is what we've talked about the last two weeks. It shifts our perspective from our own understanding of what's going on to God's understanding because God is a God who is always looking at things positively because He knows the outcome of things. And so when we begin to look at things, instead of looking at our situations and circumstances to drive our reaction, we look at God, we're grateful to Him, and lifting our hearts of gratitude to Him shifts our perspective. Okay, so if you've not been in our last couple services, that's just a, a quick little glimpse of what's going on. Last week we talked about that no matter what's going on in your life, you can always be thankful. We looked at Lamentations, a book about mourning, a book about weeping, a book about brokenness. And in the middle of that book, there is that phrase that says, And this I hope, that God's love is steadfast, His mercies are never-ending, they're new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. doesn't matter what you're doing in life, what you're going through in life, God's faithfulness towards you is great. His love and His mercies are new to you every morning. And you can rejoice in that. Amen? Are you grateful for God for that? We talked about how developing a heart of gratitude keeps us humble. A heart of gratitude keeps us humble. How does it do that? Because when we are grateful to God, we recognize that we did not make it happen for ourselves. He is the one who's laid things out for us. Pride says, I made this happen for myself. I did it on my own. I didn't have anybody's help. I, I, I didn't even have God's help. That's what pride is. And maybe you wouldn't even say those words out loud, but pride in your heart demonstrates that in your life. So when you are grateful, it confronts pride because it's humility. It's saying, God, I, I don't deserve this. I couldn't have earned it, but yet you've given to me freely. Gratitude helps you develop a heart of humility, and God loves a humble heart. This week, we're going to talk about how, how gratitude helps us not only follow Jesus, it helps us walk closely with Jesus. And, and why that's so critical, why that's so crucial. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning, and we're going to answer it as we go through this text. Why is it important that we follow Jesus? And why is it vital that we seek to walk closely with Jesus? Why is it vital that we follow Jesus, and why is it crucial that we walk closely with Jesus? You got that question in your heart? All right. I know some of you with the kids, you might have a hard time concentrating, but I'm going to try to be interesting this morning. I'm going to try to give it all I got so that you stay with me. We're going to look at Psalm 23. It is probably the most poetic psalm that David has ever written. The king of Israel wrote a ton of the psalms, probably the, one of the most poetic, one of the most deeply spiritual. I'm going to read it to you, and as I read it, it's only six verses. You might already know it. You might already have it memorized. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can we pray? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts today. We ask, Jesus, that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds to receive what you have for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. What's crucial about this, show, uh, this psalm is its placement in the book of Psalms. I always uh, w- want to recommend to you, when you're reading the Bible, don't just take out a, a chapter or a verse. You can do that sometimes to meditate on it, but for context, you need to know where the placement of the text is with other chapters and other verses. It, it's called giving you context. And in this psalm, Psalm 23, it comes right after Psalm 22. Right? That's, a, that's a shocker for some of us. It comes right after 22. But what Psalm 22 is about is the psalm of the cross. It talks about prophetically in the future how Jesus would die, how he would suffer for us. See, David, not only was he a king, he was also known as a prophet. And he was prophesying what he saw to come about a king who would be greater than him named Jesus. And Jesus, it says that he was broken and bruised for us. His blood was spilt for us. And why is that, crucial for, why is that crucial for us? Because to, before we can know the shepherd who walks with us, we have to know the king who suffered for us. We have to know the one who spilt his blood for us first before we could ever know what it means to walk with him through life. Isn't that good? I just want to make sure you're paying attention because I thought that was great. You have to know the God who paid it all for you before you can know the God who leads you beside still waters and places of rest. And so this is how Charles Spurgeon, he's known as the Prince of Preachers, this is how he says it. He says, there is no green pastures, there is no waters On the other side of the 22nd Psalm, it is only after we read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that we come to the Lord as my shepherd. We must by experience know the value of the the shedding of Christ's blood and see the sword that has been awakened against the shepherd before we would be able to truly know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. It's through the shedding of Christ's blood that we have reconciliation with the Father. It allows us to know Jesus as the good shepherd. And before... We can know the good shepherd that leads us. We have to know the one who who suffered for us, the the risen king who brought us to life. We have to know him to walk with him. Starting in verse 1, it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because we sit on the other side of, of the cross, because we sit on the other side of history, sometimes we take for granted that very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. Why, why do we take take that for granted because the king of Israel, David, is is recognizing the king of the universe as a lowly shepherd. Shepherds were lowly people because they typically smelled like the animals they slept with. They they stunk. They they were disregarded in society. I have some family that have goats and uh, you know that they stink, they're smelly, and they always try to eat your clothes, okay? This is by experience. I know it, okay? They tried to eat my shirt one day and I just uh, I felt like a shepherd. The, the, the king of Israel, David, is saying that God, the king of the universe, is not some distant, highway God who doesn't know us. He's more like, uh, he's, he's not like some king that sits so far away that he doesn't know his people, but he's a God who's like a shepherd who knows his sheep intimately. Why is that important for us? Because a king may not know every subject in his kingdom. A king might not know everybody's name, might not know everybody's situation or circumstance in life. But a shepherd knows his sheep. 
A shepherd knows when a sheep is not doing well, when it's unhealthy, when things are going well for that sheep. He knows everything about that sheep, and the sheep know him. The Bible says, Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, they know my voice. And King David, way before Christ ever appeared on the earth, said that there is a God who loves you, and, and he's a shepherd, he's a good shepherd that walks with you. He knows your situations, he knows your circumstances in life, he knows who you are. He's not just some great God who sits distant and far away, he's a great God who's also a shepherd who knows you intimately, who wants to walk with you, who knows your name. King David knew that because he was a shepherd before he became a king. It says that he killed lions, he killed bears to protect his sheep, and God's doing the same for you when you walk with him and you know him. Here's the great news. The great news is that you get to know the king of the universe as your Lord and Savior who is also your shepherd. He's actively watching over us. He knows our innermost needs because he intimately is aware of them. And the sheep that stick closely to the shepherd are the ones who are in least likely of danger. The sheep that, did you get that? The sheep that walk closely with the shepherd are the ones that are less likely to be in danger. It's the sheep that, that stray away from the shepherd are more likely to be in the jaws of a lion or in the claws of a bear. The sheep that walk closely with the shepherd. My challenge for us today is why is it important that we walk closely with the shepherd? Because we may not have to wrestle with and deal with the things in life that happen when we stray away from him. It says this, that he, verse 2, makes me lie down in green pastures and he leaves me beside still waters. I love this. It's a duality of, of Christianity. It talks about lying down. Do you know when you follow Jesus, he wants you to have rest. And some of us in our world today don't have any rest. We don't know how to rest. We're workaholics. We overwork. We overstress. We say yes to stuff we should say no to. And God is saying to us, you must be a people that know how to lie down and rest. That's a part of being in his kingdom. He wants to lead you besides in uh, green pastures where we find rest in him. But it also says that he leads us beside still waters. Why is it important that we rest and why is it important that we are led to still waters? When we rest, we are, it's a picture of gratitude, isn't it? It's a, it's a picture of recognizing that what we have comes from God, not by what we can do with our own hands. Sometimes we don't understand what it means to Sabbath or to take a day off because we think we've got to get out there and make it happen, make it happen, we've got to make it happen. But do you know that Sabbath is a reflection of giving? When you give your tithe, you're saying, God, you will, I can, I can uh, trust you with 10%. I can, you, you can make more happen with 90% than I can make with 100%. Sabbath is the same thing. When you take a day off, you're saying, God, you can make more happen for me in six days than I can make happen in seven. And when you take rest, you are demonstrating that you are being led by the shepherd who wants you to rest. Then the next part is, it says that he walks us, he leads us beside still waters. Not only is following Jesus meaning that we have rest and peace in him, it means that we are go willing to go to places of refreshing. And what does that look like for us? The Bible says that Jesus said he made us to be disciples that make disciples. That means we should be a people who are going out actively demonstrating the love and care of our Savior to people who are lost and undone without him. That, that's what it means to go. Do you know, has any of you ever, have you ever shared your faith with somebody? 
And in the moment you begin to see a heart transform, there is like a resurging of energy inside of you. Have anybody ever experienced that before? That's called refreshing. It happens because you're following the shepherd. As he leads you to be a people, besides still waters, places of refreshing, that's what he's saying. I'm leading you to places so that you can pour out the water that I've poured inside of you, so that you can be a refreshing person to somebody who needs refreshment. And when that happens, you get filled up again. He is the one who leads us. He causes us to lie down, to have rest, and to go to places of refreshing. It's a picture of what he's doing in us. You know, there's an illustration some of you might have heard. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That's true. Basically, it means this. You can provide somebody with amazing opportunities and advantages, but you can't make them take advantage of them. And Jesus is saying to us as believers, I have given you life. I have given you freedom from sin. I have given you hope. And I'm leading you to share that life, that freedom from sin, and that hope with other people, but I can't make you do it. The calling is to do it out of the abundance of your heart because you walk closely with me. And as you walk closely with me, watch this flow of life come out of you. I can give you opportunity to live a sinless life. I can give you freedom from it, but I can't make you do it. That's a choice you have to make for yourself. Jumping down to verse 3, it says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you know that even as we follow a shepherd, the good shepherd Jesus, even though we walk closely with him, he's, he's causing us to lie down and to stand up and move, that we can still grow weary. Has anybody ever grown weary before? Just get tired? Man, I, I don't want to go to church. This is, I'd rather just relax. Uh, man, I don't, I don't want to do what you're saying to do. I don't, I don't want to go to work today. Everybody, just ever, I don't want to go to school. Come on, somebody. Huh? High school, middle school. I don't know if you ever feel that way, elementary kids. You ever feel like Corbin doesn't want to go to school sometimes? He'll tell me on the way to preschool, no school, no school. Son, he's come to restore your soul even though you're laying on the ground right now. It's a a demonstration that, that sometimes we grow weary and we need the Savior of the world, we need the restorer of souls to sometimes restore our soul. We need him to do it. We get bogged down, we get burdened, we get burned out, and we need to go to the one who can restore our souls. Charles Spurgeon said this, he says, when the soul grows sorrowful, Jesus revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it or makes it holy. When it is weak, he strengthens it. But the key part is that he does it. He does it. We don't do it. He does it. So what's the challenge for us who are weary? Not try to pull ourselves out of it, not try to make something happen for ourselves, but to turn to the one who restores our souls. Turn to the one who can do only what he can do. And I love this picture of, the Bible says he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There was uh, an illustration I saw once where, maybe you've seen it before, it had like a two different pictures and it had one with like a boss sitting behind a desk with a whip and his workers and he's whipping his workers and he's telling them to go in a direction and it's like this is what this is what the law does for us the law tells us how to live but it doesn't show us how to do it and sometimes have you ever had a bad boss who tells you what to do but doesn't tell you how to do it you're like that would be great if I knew what to do but I don't know what you're talking about right 
That's a demonstration of what the law is. The Old Testament law says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But there was no picture of what it should look like in the flesh. So Jesus comes, and he says, I'm not going to tell you what to do, I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm not going to be from behind whipping you to move forward, I'm going to be in the front leading you to where I want you to go. And that's what it means when he says that he, restore, that he leads us in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Do you want to know what it... God, I don't know how to live this life. I don't know how to be righteous. I don't know how to be holy. You have a promise from God. It says if you will turn to him and trust in him, he will show you how to live righteous, how to live holy. He's leading you. He's leading you. And why? Because you bear his name. It says for his name's sake. You, you are Christ in the world. Do you know this? You are the demonstration of what it means to be a follower of Jesus to those who don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So if you say, I'm a Christian, you bear his name. So he wants to help you be righteous because you're an, an example of him. And he wants you to be a demonstration of what it means to follow a God who loves you. So he wants to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake so that his name wouldn't be cursed by the way we live our lives. Isn't that powerful? We want to be a people that when we say we are believers in Jesus, that we say we follow Jesus, we do it because we are representing the king of the universe. And we can trust that he is faithful to lead us. Verse 4 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, verse 4 reminds me of a song by Coolio. I'm sure nobody even knows who Coolio is. None of y'all ever heard Gangster's Paradise, right? None of y'all cruise up and down Yosemite Avenue bumping Gangster's Paradise. You know where Coolio says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I look at my life, realize there's none left. Come on, don't, yeah. Because some of y'all mamas even been saying your mind is gone. You know what I mean? Some of you, I talk to your mamas. They've been saying, These, my child's mind is gone. But does the Bible say that? No. The Bible doesn't say I look at my life and realize there's nothing left. The Bible says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It doesn't look at hopeless situations and say, man, there's nothing left. It looks at hopeless situations and says, I don't fear because I know the God who walks with me. Amen? Amen? See, isn't, isn't the, the enemy, he, he never has any new tools, new devices. He's always trying to kick you when you're down. He wants you to feel like though you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, there is nothing left. He doesn't want you to realize that there's a God who loves you, the God who, who cares for you, a God who is lifting you up, who's planning out your future 10 steps before you ever get there. He wants you to be demoralized, defeated, broken, feel like you're abandoned and alone. But God is saying to us today, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil because he's with you. Amen? You all get me excited up here. I'm getting excited. What's beautiful is, as he says, that his rod and his staff, they comfort us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Do you know the rod? A shepherd would carry a rod, and it was the demonstration of his protection. It was a heavy, a heavy rod that when an animal or a beast or a, something that would come in to try to attack the sheep, the rod was there to beat him over the head. Jesus, as you walk with him, he carries a rod on your behalf to defend you from the enemy who comes in to try to attack you. The, the staff, do you know the staff was used for? The staff was used 
to guide and direct, especially on tricky terrain when sheep might stumble or fall or might not know the direction. The staff would come out. It was long, had a crooked neck, and it would, he'd be able to guide even at a distance the sheep that were walking or those that were walking along a steep cliff. He would be able to guide them. Do you know that when you're walking with God, he's not only protecting you, he's guiding you? He's wanting you to succeed, not wanting you to fail. Some of you think that rod is, is for your head. Some of you think that God is waiting to punish you with the rod that he actually has there to protect you. Some of you think that God is waiting to beat you because of the sin that you've committed or the, the things that you've done in your life, and that's not God at all. God actually has that rod as a form of protection for you if you'll just walk with him, if you'll trust him. He has something in store for you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. Isn't it comforting knowing that God is on your, on your side? He's protecting you, and he's also guiding you. Some of you are saying, God, I need direction. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to live my life. And he's saying, just trust me. I'll guide you. Walk with me. I'll show you the way. And he'll correct you if you get off path. If you'll just continue to stay close to him. Verse 5 says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Some of you might feel this morning, that's what we've done, but we did not do that, okay? We are not enemies here. We are friends, okay? Look at somebody at your table and say, you're my friend. Doesn't matter what happened last night. Oh, some of y'all got freedom right now just by saying that. No matter what happened last night. I love you. You're my friend. Verse 5 says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I enjoy a good war movie. Do you enjoy a good war movie? Yeah, there's some good ones out there. There's some not so good ones. But do you ever see in the middle of these war movies that they ever sit down on the battlefield in the foxhole and be like, hey, everybody, we're going to have a five-course meal. All right, we're bringing out the best, finest china we took from the Germans. You know, they're not saying these things, right? They're not just laying out. That was a World War II uh, rendition. They're not playing out these big, long tables and having fine dining in the middle of battlefields, right? But David said something here that is profound. He says, you prepare a table before me. You prepare a five-course meal in the presence of my enemies. Why is that important for us to know? Because it's demonstrating to us that the battle is not our battle. We are not actually the ones fighting in the war. Jesus is the one who's fighting for us. Jesus is the one who goes before us and he says, as I fight your battles, come and be refreshed. Come and be restored. Come and sit and dine with me. Do you know where you win the battles? It's in the quiet places with God when you spend time with him. As he prepares, even though the enemy is surrounding you, he prepares a place for you to eat in the midst of it. Isn't that good? Amen. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He says he anoints your head with oil and your cup overflows. It symbolizes God's blessing. Some of you need to recognize that God is blessing you. In the season of Thanksgiving, sometimes we'll finally get a glimpse of what it means to be thankful. But do you know when you walk with the shepherd daily, he is continually pouring out a blessing over you because he loves you? Your cup overflows. It's a demonstration of the Old Testament when the priest Aaron was anointed and it ran off of his head down his beard. Even David, he was anointed to be king and oil was poured over him. It, was, it demonstrated that the presence of God was in your life and your life had purpose. Do you know your life has purpose today? It doesn't matter the struggle that you're going through. You might feel hopeless. You might feel broken. 
You might feel abandoned, but God today, this morning, is pouring oil over you, anointing you because your life has purpose. And finally, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David ends this powerful psalm with verse 6 that he says, Surely, surely goodness and mercy. Do you know the word surely can also be translated as only? Some, some translations translate it as only. It's powerful to know that when you walk with the good shepherd, he's saying, only goodness and mercy will follow me. Only goodness and mercy. Yeah, but what about the stuff in my past? No, only, only goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. Young man, do you want goodness and mercy? Follow Jesus. Goodness and mercy. He's not saying, yeah, but you don't know my situation. You don't know my circumstance. You don't know the pain I've been in. You don't know the hopeless times. He's saying, no, but I know the one who I walk with. And since I walk with him, goodness and mercy, they follow me. My past doesn't haunt me. I'm not worried or anxious, even about tomorrow, because as I step, goodness goes with me. As I move forward, mercy follows me. And as we talked about last Sunday, his mercies are new every morning. So maybe even though you're not even experiencing his mercy today, you feel like you've ruined it. You, th- you feel like you've blown it. You feel like I've fallen short. Well, here's the good news. When you wake up tomorrow morning, his mercy will be there ready to meet you, ready to embrace you, ready to love you. Because his goodness and his mercies walk with you. His goodness is going to supply your need. His mercy is going to cover your failings. How many of us need mercy today? Because we've fell, we've fallen short, but his love endures forever. And he says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our inheritance is in Christ, and we never have to depart from him. We get to walk with him. How encouraging is it to know that we have a good shepherd who knows us intimately and meets our needs? Even, even today, even though maybe, maybe you're struggling in life, maybe, or maybe everything feels great, sounds great, things are moving in your direction, everything's working out in your, in your favor, can I tell you, it's not always going to be that way. I hate to be a buzzkill in your life, but you're going to run into situations in your life where you're going to feel like, it's just not working out for me. Maybe you've, some of you have walked through that season already, you've come out on the other side, but life is becoming comfortable again and you forgot where God brought you from. Don't forget where God brought you from. Don't forget what God's done for you. Don't forget the mercy he had on you to bring you to the place. Some of us need to be grateful. Some of us need to be really grateful for where God has brought us from. I ask this question, why is it important to walk with Jesus daily? Because as we walk with the shepherd, he leads us But if we're not walking closely with us, we might miss opportunities that he's opened up for us because we're not walking closely. Do you know that we might miss opportunities to rest because we're not following closely? Do you know we might miss opportunities to walk in righteousness because we're not walking closely? We struggle. We fall back into sin. We wonder why, God, is this happening? And he's saying, just come closer to me and I'll walk you in this direction. Some of us aren't feeling restored today because we're not walking closely. Some of us are walking through a valley and he wants to bring us comfort and protection and guidance. 
He wants to give us peace and goodness and mercy today. And he wants us to know him and spend eternity with him. How does this all relate to gratitude? This is a series that we're going through, being grateful. We talked about this last week, James 4, 6, that says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you know it's hard to walk with a God who opposes you? It's hard to follow a God who stands and confronts your pride face to face. I think about football because we're in football season. I mean, fantasy football, I'm doing great. Sam gave me Julio Jones. Brother, thank you so much. I love you. Top five, top five wide receiver, Matt. Come on. But I think about football lining up, and, and when we're prideful, I, I view God as the defensive line coming against the things that I'm trying to do because I've been prideful. I think I can do it on my own, and he's the best defensive lineman in the, in the league. He's going to sack me every time because he opposes pride in my life because he knows that pride destroys me. He knows that pride corrupts me. He knows that pride will stop me from going further than humility will lead me. So he opposes me. You can't follow the good shepherd when you're prideful because he confronts you face to face. But when you are humble, it says that he, his grace covers you. His mercy restores you. So being grateful develops a heart of humility. If we want to follow God closely, we need to be humble. If we're going to follow God closely, we need to be grateful. That's how gratitude helps you follow the Lord closely. Some of us, we want to follow Jesus, but we've got so much pride in our life to think that we've figured out life for ourselves that we don't actually feel Him and we have a hard time feeling Him because He's so far off from us because of our own pride has pushed Him away. God is saying to us today, be a people who are grateful and feel me come close. Feel me come close. Parents, do you ever give gifts to your kids and when they're truly grateful, you just want to give them a hug? The days that they're not grateful, you want to give them something else? Come on, somebody. God is a good father. We sing about it. He's a father of kindness. And he wants us to be grateful because he's given us so many good gifts. And he's saying, I want to love you. I want to embrace you. But your pride will continue to keep you running from me. I want to embrace you. I want to love you. So be grateful and allow God to embrace you in your own gratitude. So here's my challenge today before we end and begin to eat lunch together. My challenge for you today is this question. Are you walking with the shepherd today? Are you walking with the shepherd today, the shepherd of your soul? It begins with the heart of gratitude. 